Hey, and welcome to our 31st class from the Christian Basics, or from our Lutheran teenagers out there, Confirmation. Every week we aim to bring you biblical content that will help you in your new or emerging walk with Christ. I'm Evan McClanahan, I'm the pastor at First Lutheran, and we are looking uh, at John the Baptist this week with my friend Ted Wright of Epic Archaeology. I definitely encourage you to check out Epic Archaeology's website and uh, Ted's ministry. It's uh, it's really fascinating, and he'll, he'll bring a lot of insight and historical background to our conversation about John the Baptist. Let's roll. Ted, thanks for joining me again. Looking forward to actually recording three videos with you today. But let's talk about John the Baptist. Maybe the most fascinating and mercurial uh, character in all of the New Testament. He he kind of comes out of nowhere. He says some odd things. He eats weird food. And yet he has this profound connection to Christ. And Christ says some amazingly profound things about John. And so he's clearly a very important figure uh, along the way. But you're an archaeologist by trade. So why don't you set the stage a little bit for kind of what this period in Israel's history is like? What's kind of going on? And why would a figure like him just kind of come out of nowhere with the message that he has? Yeah, Evan, and thank you for having me on again. And it's great to be with you uh, to talk talk about uh, one of the most fascinating figures in the New Testament, John the Baptist. Um, so let's go back to uh, let's go back to the early part of the um, the end of the New Old Testament because uh, historically speaking, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. You know, in, in your Bibles, when you look at the end of the, of the Old Testament, it's Malachi. But historically speaking, uh, ends in a period uh, that archaeologists and historians call the, the Persian period. And uh, of course, the book of Esther is recorded at that time. And uh, in fact, in uh, many of the Old Testament Jewish uh, scribes and scholars did not include the book of Esther because it didn't contain the name of God. Um, but there was sort of a providence that God was preserving his people. And so there was this uh, about approximately 400 years of silence. Uh, there were no prophets speaking. Uh, Judah had gone into captivity. Israel had gone into captivity. They came out of captivity. And then they uh, were beginning to go back into the land. And uh, as they went back to the land, uh, after the Persian Empire, uh, of course, the uh, King Cyrus uh, issued a decree, an edict that allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which they did under Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. This is also when Judaism began to be more formalized in the uh, in Palestine. And so you have the schools of thought like Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenes. And there were another group uh, eventually that came on the scene when Herod the Great came uh, came on the scene, and they were called the Herodians. But the Essenes uh, were very interesting, and this figures into John the Baptist. So, so basically, this this is all happening before John gets on the scene. So there's Greek culture, there's this background of Jewish revolt, and and so there was a there were prophecies in the Old Testament about a coming son of David 
who's going to come into Israel and bring in salvation to the Jews. And he was going to fulfill the Davidic covenant. Uh, they believe that God had made this covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that God says, I swear by my name, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring this king is going to come, this anointed one, this Messiah, mm-hmm. which the word Messiah just literally means anointed one. And uh, he's going to bring in Israel and conquer all of their enemies and usher in this everlasting kingdom on earth. So this was going around for 400 years and began to develop. So among those three groups, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenes, it was the Essenes who really saw, who really were following in this, this apocalyptic vision of the Old Testament. And so this has led some scholars to, to uh, sort of conjecture that John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, of course, he was born of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who was a priest. They were, they were up in years when he was born, when John was born. And uh, so we don't know. It's sort of read between, reading between the lines here. But uh, if they passed away when he, before he got of age, then he would have either been uh, reared by his family or he could have been reared by monks, these uh, Jewish monks slash scholars mm. uh, in the Dead Sea area in the, in the re- realm of Qumran. I've actually been there, hiked around the area. It is the wilderness. Mm. It's a Judean wilderness, mm. basically. And mm. it makes sense. Uh, they, were, uh, they were apocalyptic, and they believed, and I think, uh, my, my view on this, and again, I'm a, I'm a New Covenant believer on this, but I think that um, the uh, Essenes have believed that the Pharisees and Sadducees were too buddy buddy with the romans they were too had become too hellenized in other words yeah. they had become they had they had adopted greek culture and they were really friendly with the romans so the essenes wanted to separate themselves and so when you think about the three groups of jews that were living in the time right before christ the essenes were the ones that were most apocalyptic they believed they were living literally the end of the world and that uh that the kingdom was about to come so mm-hmm. uh so it ends with this so i think that it is interesting, ironically, and not by accident, I think, that the Old Testament ends with Malachi 4 about God sending Elijah. And then at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, there is this, this person, John the Baptist, who's living out in the desert like a hermit. And he says, behold, a voice crying in the wilderness, you know, mm-hmm. prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what his mission was. So, so um, I think theologically, we can look at John as stitching the old testament and the new testament together Mm. because uh because not only of his his prophetic office because he was a prophet but also uh because of his message and because of what his message was and he was preparing that was his mission to prepare the way of the lord in fact um uh, his were his message actually is uh is taken directly from isaiah 40 and uh, that, that, the words that he spoke uh, in Isaiah 40, and he says this, um, and, and this is Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verses 1, the first few verses. He says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then verse 3 says, that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Mm-hmm. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low and the crooked places shall be made plain and the rough places smooth 
and the glory of the Lord should be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, so, so John is is quoting from Isaiah, which he perhaps could have read at maybe Qumran, uh, oh. or maybe heard in the synagogue for sure. But he knew it; he was quoting yeah. it, and there was a there was a reason why. It was because. He is the prophet of a new exodus, and just like the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and God made a way in the wilderness, God was making a way in the wilderness again. So he's directly mm. connecting the exodus story with Jesus. So all this Old Testament imagery of, of Davidic Messiah, anointed mm. one, one who's going to bring in Israel, bring in this kingdom, uh, John is proclaiming this. He is the herald. He is like the the street crier on the street. You know, yeah. prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming, and the you know, get ready for him. And uh, and so, this would not have been lost on the average Jew, mm. uh, on the Jew who understood the importance of the Torah, because they celebrated Passover. You know, yeah. we look at the we look at the Exodus as a, like, well, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen, but no, it's it's. It's like foundational for understanding yeah. Messiah. It's foundational for understanding the, the, the New Testament. Well, let's, so, let's let let's kind of take an inventory of, of where we're at so far. Sure. So so John uh, again really kind of kicks off the the New Testament. Anyone who's in a liturgical church instantly goes to Advent because these are the Advent the the early December stories we hear uh, as we prepare for the the, the Christmas season. But um, so John is he's in the in the wilderness, his father was a priest. Uh, his name was Zechariah. His mother's right. name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were told in Luke are cousins. And so that would make John and Jesus third cousins. If, if yep. that is all accurate information, I happen to think that it is. Yes. Um, but but John is raised for whatever reason. Uh, he seems to be raised in the wilderness and his ministry takes place in the wilderness. Um, and so you, what you're saying uh, is that he is uh it's like a new exodus right so the, the connection when we hear wilderness should be to the the jews the hebrew people in the wilderness at the time when they've left egypt which we did a whole video about before right yes okay and so and john's primary call is to repent is that people need to uh, give up their evil ways trust in god uh recommit to to the the revealed God of the scriptures. Yes. Um, and so and he's baptizing people, lots and lots of people. And in fact, uh, you know, we're told like everyone in these villages, you know, was coming and being baptized in the Jordan River where uh where he was baptizing folks. And the Jordan has significance, as we also talked Absolutely. about before, right? Because uh the people enter, the Hebrew people enter the promised land in That's the book right. of Joshua. By crossing at, at, at a place called Abel Shatim, which means the house of the crossing. So they're bad. Uh, John is baptizing at the place where the Israelites would have known that we're entering to the new land. So, yeah. yes. But now, a lot of people no, a lot of people will think, OK, well, the baptism of John is the same as our baptism today, but that's not quite right. So maybe talk a little bit about the difference between this baptism that G John is offering and the baptism that was sort of inaugurated by Christ and the church performs today. Yeah. So the baptism, uh, this, this imagery goes back to, again, to the old Testament and it has to do with, um, you know, it, it has to do with identifying, uh, and, and submitting to God's salvific plan. And mm -hmm. his it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a baptism of repentance of, uh, of a fact that 
I recognize that I need cleansing and that I need saving. And the only person can save me is, is God is Christ. So, um, so it's, it's more of a baptism of repentance, I think, than it is, uh, the baptism that we do today. Maybe as a Lutheran, you have some different, I mean, understandings of that, but, um, I don't think it was necessarily salvific per se, but it was definitely because it was an image of what a person believed Mm -hmm. on the outside. Um, just like God delivered the Israelites through the floodwaters of parting the Red Sea. And then he also saved Noah and his family through the flood by being in the ark. In the same yeah. way, the water is an imagery is death. So by being baptized, it's a recognition that you're dying to yourself. You're dying to your own ways. You can't do this. You can't keep the Torah. You can't keep the law. So uh, by being baptized, you're submitting to uh truths that and 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 things that you cannot do yourself that only god could do so it's a very powerful image um and it is interesting evan how i I just think just kind of reflect on that for a moment um i go back to because i used to teach old testament survey years ago at seminary and uh when we cover the prophets one of the things one of the things i think is interesting is that god never bypasses our imaginations and he uses our imaginations to communicate truth to us because it makes sense. I mean, you think about it, he's, he's the logos. He's the, he's the creator of the universe. So when he wants to communicate to us, he does it in flesh and blood examples. He does it in visual imagery. And so baptism is a very powerful visual image of death and life. So water can bring death, but it can also bring life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things I'd like us to uh, sort of reclaim a little bit when we think about John too, is the fact that he, he was, like you said, the town crier calling people to repent. If someone did that today, we'd think they're crazy. <laughs> and, and that's, that's a shame, it is. you know, because it is part of the role of the church to call people to repent. That, that, that hasn't changed. Even people in the church are still called right. to repent and yep. to be obedient to God. It's a, it's a call we all need because we're sinners but it's almost like the Christian community has become this genteel, you know, upper crust society gathering or something. And it's like, no, like, you know, there needs to be a yep. little bit of John the Baptist in every congregation and in every, every Christian. Right. So I agree. I agree. Um, I a hundred percent. And to, to, to piggyback on what you're saying about repent, it's, it's, uh, still in effect today we are still called to repent today and uh it, we can't get around that it's just yeah. the fact of the matter is is that we become so um what what i think about first corinthians uh one where paul says god chooses the foolishness of preaching and yeah. that's because i used to be a pastor and i still preach on occasion as well and uh so it's no slam because i've been there but it is foolish in a sense that it's a smack to your pride that yeah. when you you have to repent and people don't want, and it was a, even back then it was like a prideful thing to, to have to like respond to this guy yet yelling that you need to repent, you know, not necessarily yeah. yelling, but, you know, definitely, yeah. uh, you know, c- crying out. And whatever, if, if we want to poo poo John the Baptist, I, I, I guess that's all right, but Jesus did not. And so uh, I don't have the verse right in front of me, but Jesus says that the greatest of all men born of women, women is John. That's right. And that's a pretty remarkable thing because there's some pretty great people, you know, in the Old Testament and amongst his disciples. Uh, So uh, it's a pretty remarkable thing that Jesus puts John in that rarefied air. He was a he was a great man. And and really, that greatness in many respects cost him his life. And so Mm -hmm. 
you know, when you think about John, he pointed to Christ, he pointed away from, in, in fact, in John 4, there's an interesting, the Gospel of John, there's an interesting story where everyone who John was baptizing, now that group of people are going over to Jesus in his disciples' baptism. Yep. And one of John's followers is like, what are we going to do? We're losing all of our customers. And John's like, eh, he must increase, I must decrease, you know? So there's that great humility that, that yes. is lifted up. But talk about the death of John. It, it's very important in the Gospels. It's, a, it's, it's really, in many respects, a kind of turning point. It, it, it seems like it raises the stakes of Jesus' own ministry. Yeah. And so what, you, you mentioned this king earlier, or this king's father maybe, but um, talk about how he dies and, and what, what's the importance of that story. Yeah, so uh, to set it up and to kind of uh, bring us into that, that time frame uh, toward the end of his life, I do think it's interesting to note also, Evan, that John, even though he was a prophet, and, I, and he definitely was, and let me just speak to that for just a second about his yeah. prophetic office and uh, the, um, the Old Testament requirements for what a prophet is. Anybody can say anything. I mean, like you could have some guy on the street say, hey, you know what, I got a message from God. Yeah, right. You know, what have you been drinking? You know, but yeah. what but the biblical and in, in, in the Old Testament was the same way. I mean, there were always people who claimed to get a message from God. I mean, the cults, all the leaders of the cults claimed to get message from God. But what distinguishes a prophet, an actual true prophet from a false prophet? And in, in the book of Deuteronomy tells us, actually, uh, I believe it's 18 or 17. Tell, it outlines the test of a prophet. If what he speaks does not come to pass, and he is not a prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, another another evidence of a prophet is miracles. So when you look at Moses and Elijah, these are prophets in the Old Testament, and they were confirmed by the miracles that they did and by what God did through them. When you look at John the Baptist, his prophetic office was confirmed by his prophetic utterance. He predicted and said that the Messiah mm-hmm. is coming, and that was a message from God. Christ did come. So, uh, but he didn't do miracles. It was Christ because that would maybe have taken away from Christ. Mm. Maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but so that was his mission was to really just prepare the way of the Lord in the, in the wilderness. He fulfilled scripture to the T exactly as the Old Testament predicted. And, uh, and when that happened, uh, then of course, the Lord uh, took him home. But it is interesting also to note, Evan, that, that even John, this great, man of God, uh, had doubts and he sent his own disciples to Christ saying, you know, are you really the guy? Remember they, that in the gospels where yeah. he says, you know, I, I just, I don't know. And he's, and then what, what Jesus response is very interesting. He, he immediately points back to the old Testament. He says, tell them that the blind see the, the you know, I'm healing the lame. Mm-hmm. This is all the old, this is all old Testament. So essentially what Jesus told John had the message is basically I'm fulfilling old Testament prophecy. Yes, I'm the one. So, so it's okay to have doubts sometimes, it just like John had doubts, and um, and Christ answered those doubts. But yeah, so his death was um, very likely because we know to go back to Herod the Great. This is of course uh, happening in Second Temple Judaism or the uh, Second Temple period, uh, or the uh, historians or archaeologists call it the late Hellenistic period. So Herod actually had uh, built up um, fortresses all throughout Palestine. And uh, because he actually feared the Jews, he didn't fear the, the mm. Romans because he was actually in he'd actually been uh, declared king of the Jews by the Roman Senate in 40 B.C. Mm. He had first served under um, uh, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. Cleopatra was in the south in Egypt. 
And of course, with her alliance with Mark Anthony, they were defeated in the Battle of Actium in 31 BC. And then Herod the Great, of course, then came on, uh, or no, excuse me, Octavian came on, and then Herod went to him and declared his fealty and loyalty to uh, to Octavian, who then became Augustus and issued the Pax Romana. But be, but because Herod was so warmed up to the Romans, he built these fortresses because there was a there were there was there were zealots. Jewish zealots who believed that they were going to establish the Jewish kingdom by force. They were the ones who they were like the terrorists of the day, I guess, if you will. And um, they were killing Roman soldiers and things like that. Barabbas very likely was one of those in that cohort. Um, but so he built these fortresses. Masada is one of them. And one of them in the Dead Sea area, which is where John the Baptist was preaching, uh, was called Machiris. And it's been discovered archaeologically. We know about this. In fact, just a couple of years ago, an archaeologist discovered the very high degree of – because in archaeology, nothing's 100% you know, inaccurate. Yeah. But it is very high likely. In fact, it's – the degree of probability is like 0 0.01 that it's not. The dance floor where uh, Salome actually danced in front of Herod Agrippa, who was the son oh. of Herod the Great. So, um, of course, John – uh, was uh, a prophet, and he spoke against because he actually had a relationship with his brother's wife, an adulterous relationship. So Herodian. John, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so he uh, he spoke out against this, and so um, he was put in prison. And uh, as he was in prison, that's when he, of course, sent the message to Christ. You know, are you really the one? And then, of course, there was a, a scene in which uh, in the New Testament presents uh, Sal uh, actually. Herod had the banquet, very likely at Machiris, mm. and in the banquet hall where his throne would have been, it's called the Bema, or a high place, or a little raised up platform, which is where the throne would have been. It's where we mm. get the word Bema seat judgment, where we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm. Well, in the Roman world, there was a Bema, the raised platform, which is where the throne would have, would have, would have stood. Um, and so it was very likely in front of that spot that, uh, that Salome danced for Herod and, of course, his wife. Or she basically told him, you know, what well, I'll give you anything. I'll give you anything up to, you know, my kingdom. I can't give you mm -hmm. that, but I'll give you anything else you ask for. So, of course, because she was so incensed about John the Baptist and his moral preaching against them that she said, why don't you ask for the head of John the Baptist? So that's, of course, Herod Grippa did not want that and uh, tried to convince them not to do that. Uh, but they said, no, uh, if you don't do this, you're going to be considered a weak so you need to do this, and it really pained him to do this. And so he uh, he beheaded John the Baptist, and this then uh, catapulted Christ into his three-year ministry that changed the world forever. And yeah. of course, a Christ, as you pointed out earlier, Christ said of him, "Among those born of women, there's been no none greater than John the Baptist." Yeah, and yeah. So so definitely a. Um... A testament to what can happen if you speak truth to power and and well if, if you speak truth period absolutely um and that famous phrase you know head on a platter that's the <laughs> gruesome image yep. of what happened to john the baptist he was beheaded and 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 um the wife um i have solomon in, in herodias i guess herodias uh, yes yeah she said i want i want him killed and i want his head on the platter and and sure enough that was presented to herod um well, this is a great introduction. Uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of passages about John the Baptist, but he he's he's like it's like one of those bands that not everyone listens to, but the people that do <laughs> make bands, you know, it's like very yeah. influential, kind of like 
things revolve around him. And people people feared him. They respected him uh, because he was uncompromising uh, in his uh, commitment to God and in the Word of God. And and Absolutely. so I think there's a lot of basic lessons we can take from that. But uh, that the historical perspective was very interesting. So, well, thanks, Ted. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you, Evan. Appreciate it. Thanks for being, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, thanks again to Ted Wright of Epic Archaeology for joining me today as we look at John the Baptist, his ministry and life. Remember to subscribe to this uh, feed. Go to uh, flhouston.org for worksheets and email me anytime, christianbasicsclass at gmail.com. Well, thanks again for uh, joining me today, and thanks especially to Ted Wright of Epic Archaeology for joining me. Remember to subscribe to this uh, site, and uh, dang it. Well, thanks again for joining me, and thanks to Ted Wright for joining me, as always, from Epic Archaeology. I definitely encourage you to check them out. Remember to subscribe to this feed. Uh, email me at christianbasicsclass at gmail.com, and go to flhouston.org for any worksheets. Until next time, take care.